Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year, and welcome to episode 13 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. My name is Matt, and joining me on today's cast are my two lovely co-hosts, Tiffany. Hello. And Dan. Hello. All right, everyone, so welcome to 2015. Before we dive into the show, just a quick reminder of where you can reach out to us. As always, we're on Facebook and Twitter at the League of Nonsensical Gamers. You can shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. And you can head over to our BGG Guild, number 2077, to chat more about our discussion topics. So on today's show, we've got a few news stories that Dan has drummed up for us. We have a few Kickstarter spotlights that Tiff has found. And then we're going to be doing our 2014 Nonsensical Yearbook, where we go through our board gaming superlatives for the year of 2014. But first, before we do any of that, we've got a few games that we've been getting to the table. So let's talk about what we've been playing. So one of the games that we have gotten to the table is Tammany Hall. And this is, I actually got this to the table with my other game group, my buddy Cress. He spoiled Christmas by buying this in front of his fiancée before she could get it for him. So this was fantastic to uh, get a backstabbing and negotiation game to the table. Um, In Tammany Hall, basically, it's area control meets uh, social negotiation and and, uh, bartering. You're trying to control different districts in Old Town, New York, And basically, by controlling and bidding, you gain victory points, and at the end of the game, whoever has the most victory points wins. Um, This game is pretty cool, and I know that this was recently reprinted and just got back on store shelves, I think, this year. Um, But it is an older game, and I had a lot of fun with it. Tiff, have you gotten a chance to play this yet? I haven't, but I've always been curious about it. A lot of people have good things to say about it. I don't know if it would be the right thing for my group. Yeah, well, we talked about Cosmic Encounter previously, and this is the same group that I played that game with. And um, if you remember, it didn't go like it wasn't as cutthroat as we thought it was going to be. Um, so when we when we got this to the table, I was reading through it and I was like, oh, well, this will be this will be interesting. And our first game actually went kind of like that first game of Cosmic Encounter. It it was pretty passive. There wasn't a lot of negotiation, um, and somebody ended up just kind of running away with it. So I liked it a lot, but I could see that at three players, it probably wasn't its best because we needed some more people to mix it up. That makes sense. Yeah. So the second game we got to play, though, because we got it to the table again um, a few days later, was five players. And this was a really good mix. We got Ben and Kel in the mix, and they, they're good wheeler, wheeling and dealers. Wheel, wheeler and dealers. They wheel and deal well. They wheel and deal well. There you go. Um, so we had a lot more above the table kind of stuff. So kind of picking on people, striking deals, using our special powers to kind of help each other out. Um, In that game, it was a lot of fun. So yeah, so with five players, it was a a lot more of what I've expected. And it was a lot more fun, although I do have to say there was still the problem with kind of a runaway leader. Basically, two of us were kind of ran away with it at the beginning. Two of us were in the middle of the pack. And then poor Ben was like at the end of the road the whole game. And there really wasn't a way to come back from it, which was kind of a bummer. It's definitely an interesting game and one that I like. But we we were feeling the cutthroat nature of it by the end of it. You know, after the group, the group talked about it and processed after the game. And we decided it's probably not one that we want to play like back to back too often just because it it takes a lot of social energy to get through it. But it was a fun one. And I can see why a lot of people like it. So I'm pumped to have that in the collection. Tiff, what have you been playing? Um, I got to play Jungle Rumble, which is a, I think it's a Chinese game about farming, but using cats as workers. So in Jungle Rumble, you there are action tiles available, and then each player chooses an action, and then you can use your cat helpers to help you 
do that action. You can do it as many times as you have cats to spend to do that. And then each other player can follow that action, but only using one cat. And so the actions are just, you can, you can get more cats, and you can build your plantation and water it and do all these different things farming-wise, but your, your workers are cats. Are these anthropomorphic cats? Well, Is this like Felinia? No, no. Oh, okay. They're just like cute little cartoon cats. Who happen to be and able to farm? They farm? Who happen to be able to farm. Okay. Well, what do you think yeah. about the game itself? I liked it a lot, actually. It's a, it's, it only took like a half hour. And it feels kind of like, I don't know, kind of like Agricola-y, but like more tongue-in-cheek and quicker. Okay. You have to feed your cats. Oh, jeez. You can't have beggar cats. <laughs> so so part of what you're doing is you're, you're getting food through your plantations in order to feed your cats. So you have to balance how many cats you have versus, versus how much food you can get in that turn. I don't know. It has a similar kind of subsistence feel to it, but without being too serious and too long. All right. Cool. Is this one that you own or that you got to play with other people? No, I own it. I ordered it from Fun Again. Okay. They brought Why it over here. would you question whether she owned this or not? This is like, Tiff has a shelf full of quirky animal farming games. Well, see, I wouldn't have questioned whether or not Tiff was going to own it, but that doesn't mean that this playthrough was her copy. Do they, do they poop on their own crops? Oh, natural fertilizer. Yes. Like a... That's probably the expansion that's coming. <laughs> do, do things grow in the litter box? <laughs> you have to feed your cats, and then the cats fertilize the plants, and then they eat the plants. It's a cycle, self-sustaining. Yeah, it's an engine builder. No? I don't know. I'm just thinking of like a flow right. chart, and poop is one arrow. <laughs> <laughs> this would be a good outtake. <laughs> <laughs> but it might just be an intake. Yeah, so, yeah. So, Jungle yeah. Rumble. So, that's Jungle Rumble. Why is it called Jungle? Like, what? Are these jungle cats? There is a monkey. I I didn't name the game. All I know is it's a good game about farming, using cats as helpers, and feeding your cats, and, and collecting food and gold. <laughs> <laughs> so, we had a chance to, uh, over Christmas, play... Um, a game that we bought our littlest brother, Eric, which was Pitch Car. And this is definitely not a new release. This is one that came out in, I'm not even sure, I think early 2000s, I think. It's basically analog racing at its finest. Um, it brings us back to the days when we used to put together the tracks to race around our little electrical cars around the tree or the table or the train set or whatever. Um, but this is basically building the track and you're flicking wooden discs. So everyone's got their own little car and you set up the track however you want. We had the base game and one of the expansions which gave us like a ramp and a tunnel which was awesome. And you set it up and then you just flick the cars around. You take turns, uh, you do like a qualifying lap to see who can do the track and the least amount of flicks and they get the first starting pole position. And then you, like I said, take turns flicking um, around the track. You do three laps and whoever wins is the winner, <laughs> naturally. Um, it was awesome. It was so much fun. Um, I think we played this maybe eight or nine times yesterday. Um, it plays two to eight players. We played a couple of four-player games, and then once um, some of our friends came over, we got in. We got an eight-player. We got in three eight-player games. I think it was, and it was so much fun. I think it was. Yeah, I just. It was really good. I really enjoyed it. I highly recommend it. It's very hard to find. Um, I think they only do like one printing of it per year. Uh, this is a Furty game, 
Um, so nice, hard, high-quality wood pieces. Um, the track is real sturdy with the guardrails are nice, solid plastic. Um, it's a little on the pricey side. I think it retails for like 70 or 80 bucks for the base game. And like I said, it's, it's tough to find. And once it sells out, it goes into the Amazon market, you know, for 100 bucks or so. But I managed to get this from our favorite board game store in Canada, Board Game Bliss. And uh, couldn't be happier with it. My brother seemed to enjoy it, so it was it was a worthy gift, I think. This game is awesome. What I mean, what else is there <laughs> really to say? You flick wooden cars around a track, and on the whole, we're all really bad at it. There's been a few shining moments of glory when you, I don't know, make two giant jumps in a row, or you know, you you skid past some dude in a lucky shot um, to win the race. It's awesome. It's really fun to play, even if you're not good at it. Like we had Kel, who is she's terrified of dexterity games uh, because of her fine motor skills, but she she rocked it out. We had Bree playing, we had gamers, non-gamers, all kinds of stuff. It was just super approachable. It's super easy. Um, and if you go online, there's like hundreds of different tracks, thousands of different tracks. Fair to say, just infinite number of track variations that you can make um, with all these expansions and stuff. It. This is a game with staying power. If you if you like dexterity games, I see no reason not to go out and, and spend the, the money. Even though it is expensive, it's awesome and super fun. Tiff, do you like Pitch what? Car? <laughs> I have the mini version of it. <laughs> what is what? the mini version of it? It's exactly what it it's sounds like. It's a miniature like. Pitch Car? It's a smaller version of Pitch Car. Do you enjoy car. it? Is this something that you own because it's cool or because you like to break it out and play it? No, I like it. I like to play it. I don't get to play it very often because you I don't, don't know. sit in your bedroom at night by yourself building tracks and <laughs> racing around. <laughs> I think that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. I should do that. I have a lot of stuff for it actually. I traded for it, and the guy had everything. It's not that much smaller. I was I was between the two actually, and I did a lot of research. There's a lot of um, forum posts about what's the difference, and basically it was just size and like your need for space as far as where you could fit it. That was the big difference. Um, it's hard to talk too much about it because it really is so simple. It's just awesome. Like, it's it's just a cool game if you like dexterity games. So, I mean, other than that, you're just flicking discs. The joy comes from the play. Yep, and the trash talk. So much trash talk. Oh, man. All right, well, games. that's a you know a quick and dirty what we've been playing. We've been getting some other things to the table, but those are the, the new ones. So let's go ahead and transition after this break into some news and then some Kickstarter spotlight. So stick around for that. Alright, so we've got a couple of news stories here for you. Um, first up are a couple of uh, announced releases. So we'll go ahead and start with uh, Medieval Academy, which is a game we talked about, I believe, in the last episode. Uh, it's one that the three of us have been playing uh, quite frequently and really enjoying it. It's a light drafting game uh, where you've got the center tiles and you're trying to um, advance your different tokens throughout those different boards um, using the cards that you draft. It's a, a great game. Quick, easy to teach, and uh, I think it's going to see a lot of play once it hits the U.S. shores, which is where I'm going with this, uh, because it was announced that uh, Yellow will be picking this up for U.S. release. Um, it's originally a Blue Cocker Games, which is, uh, I believe, a French company, and uh, so Yellow is going to be bringing it to our U.S. of A. 
Um, when, I do not know, but I anticipate sometime between now and Gen Con. Probably shooting more towards Gen Con, but we'll see. Uh, that's first up. Uh, next up is uh, Mysterium, which has been all the rage on BGG, uh, mainly from BGGCon, where Portal Games had the Polish version. Uh, Ignacia brought that over with him, and it saw a ton of play. Um, social media was blowing up. Uh, the BGG forums, everyone is really getting into this game. Uh, it's been deemed a mix between Dixit and Clue. Um, one player takes on the role of a ghost in a uh, house in which there are guests that are serving as, I guess, investigators of sorts. And the ghost is trying to communicate using, using these cards that are similar to what you'd see in Dixit. Just very nice art, but kind of abstracted. Uh, they're left for interpretation. Um, and he's trying to get the players to guess who the killer was, what room they killed them in, and the, I guess, the weapon. Tiff, you've played this. Am I am I off on that? You got it. Excellent. I got it. Um, so this is going to be brought to the States by Asmodee, um, and they've said that this will be available at Gen Con 2015. Um, the reason for the delay is because they're going to be doing uh, all-new revamped artwork, and it's going to be from Xavier Collette, which is awesome. So it's going to look really cool, and... People who have the Polish or like Tiff and I have the Ukrainian version or any of the other original versions, don't be too sad because as I understand it, the art will be completely redone. So it's almost like getting an expansion for it in a way. All new cards with different art and enhanced gameplay. So stay tuned for that. Um, looking forward to getting that one to the table myself soon. Is this a language neutral game? Yes. It's literally like the whole game is just Dixit cards. Okay. The ghost cannot speak. So okay. he's just playing these cards, and then the players can kind of conference amongst themselves to say, okay, I think he's trying to tell us this based on the cards he played. Cool. Um, so, and that, I know Portal has it up on their site, and you got it from the Ukraine. So there's sellers out there that have it right now, but yeah, it's you the can American get it. version. Yes, this will be the, yeah, this is the Asmodee release of it. Cool. I know Tiff's played it. Tiff, do you like it? I've liked it. It was harder than I thought it was going to be. But we'll talk. We should talk more about it after you guys get a chance to. Play yeah, we definitely will. We'll talk about that next episode because I think we'll probably get it in this weekend. Yeah, I'm wondering if Asmodee will put in the sweet crystal ball tokens. I hope so. Those are cool. So next up on our list of um, announced games, we talked about this again last episode as well. But just a refresh: uh, Stronghold Games officially announced uh, after Stephen came on and teased it a bit on the podcast um, that they're teaming up with Spielworks to bring us two of their uh, games from the European market. Uh, the first one being Age of Reason, which is a Martin Wallace game that has a German title that I cannot pronounce. Um, and the second is Lagrange from Michael Keller and Andreas Odendahl. I'm not familiar with Age of Reason, I'll admit that, but uh, Lagrange is one I've heard many good things about, and I've done some research on it, and I'm ecstatic that this will be uh, released in the U.S. And coming from Stronghold, you know it's going to come... Probably somewhat on time from when he says, and it'll be a quality product. So uh, stay tuned for that. Next up, we've got uh, Upper Deck. Upper Deck has confirmed uh, the release of their new LCG based off of the old Versus system. So the old Marvel uh, superhero card game. Uh, this is going to be released at Gen Con 2015. Uh, some of you may have seen at Gen Con 2014 that uh, Upper Deck released, I don't, I don't know if it was like a preview of how the Versus system would look in LCG format. Uh, I know it used a lot of the older cards from the original, but apparently it's gotten uh, buzz and they're excited about it, so they decided to go forth with their official printing of it, and that'll be out this year. So I know that's one I'll be uh, looking forward to 
because I was a fan of the old versus system, and anytime something comes up with a superhero theme, it usually immediately uh, piques my interest. I know Matt would probably be interested in this one too. Yeah, definitely. Okay. LCGs, card games, I'm all for it. And I know Tiff is just nah. chomping. <laughs> no. No. Uh, not at all, right? Please, something collectible <laughs> for Tiff. Yeah. No, thank you. Card games. Woo! So moving right along, uh, Eagle Games and Griffin Games uh, announced that they will be merging to form Eagle Griffin Games. Uh, I thought this already happened. Yeah, I think a lot of people have, have just historically been confused by the whole... Um, Eagle and Griffin Games, because they are two separate entities. Uh, Eagle Games was responsible for more of the heavier Euros, the midway to heavy kind of European-style games, whereas Griffin Games was the lighter family-style filler games. Um, And they have decided to officially merge, so now they're EGG, Eagle and Griffin Games. So they will be producing all of those games under the same banner. They released a new logo, which you can check out um, on their website, which is pretty cool looking. It's slick. And um, coming along with that announcement, they also um, let us know about the Egg series of games, which is going to be a new small box uh, series of games. These are the small card games, similar to like what you would get with a lot of the like the Z-Man style games, Saboteur, things like that, that size box. The first one in that line will be the newly released Kickstarter success uh, Eggs and Empires from Matt Riddle and Ben Pinchback, uh, the Fleet Guys, followed by the 12 Days of Christmas, which is currently on Kickstarter right now, or was just on Kickstarter right now. (laughs) (laughs) It was just on Kickstarter, sorry. Uh, That'll be number two. And they've also announced a couple of other ones which uh, we'll get some more details on for the future. Uh, So last up, we've got some exciting news from FFG. Uh, No, they haven't merged with anyone else, um, but they are going to give us a counterpart to the Rebel Carillion, which came out for the X-Wing system. Um, This is going to be the Imperial Raider. Now, this is kind of unique because, um, as reported in their announcement, they were unable, when they were scouring the Star Wars IP lore, to kind of find a ship that was comparable to the Carillion Corvette, uh, which is interesting because then they were able to work with Lucasfilms and they actually came up with a whole new ship that will be used in the newest expansion, the Imperial Raider, like I said before. And this is going to be an anti-fighter ship. Um, it's going to be big and bulky, just like the uh, Carillion Corvette. And it looks pretty damn cool. Um, it'll be in my news post, uh, on the site. If anyone wants to check that out, nonsensicalgames.com. And it looks, it almost looks like a mini star destroyer, just kind of like Mm -hmm. compacted into a little, a littler triangle. (laughs) 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 It's a flying triangle basically, but, um, it looks awesome. And this expansion pack is also going to come with a new tie advanced ship, which will be... Uh, painted in a different paint job and then it's also going to come with your standard slew of uh, pilots upgrades and emissions so exciting news um, for fans like myself that play the dark side in x-wing uh, it's nice to finally see something that can stand up to the Krillian corvette well it's interesting because i guess first off they made a new ship which that's kind of weird like they teamed up to make something that'll go into the lore so this is 
to some extent, this will be like a collector's item for non-gamers. If you're a Star Wars dude, like this is the first appearance of this ship. Is that correct? That's what it sounds like? That's that's how I interpret it. Now, I may be wrong um, in my interpretation of the announcement, but from what I understood, it was a joint effort between FFG and Lucasfilms to yeah. design this ship. Maybe it has some characteristics of other ships within the lore, but yeah. uh, melded into one triangle. But <laughs> <laughs> it... Um, I don't know. It, it is cool, like you said. Well, it? my next question would be: Is like, have they, have they, are, are they already hitting the brink of X-wing? Because, well, one, they've got Armada coming out, and two, so they've they've gone big ships with that. But two, within X-wing, is this this? I guess this is as big as they can ever go because they said that the next step up is like to scale it. It would still be the size of your room, yeah, kind of thing. Like because just in their lore. Star destroyers are star destroyers. So yeah, they're giant. But so is this like the brink? Is this the limit that X-wing is going to be able to push I don't and not have to use Armada to go any bigger? Well, that was my original worry when they started announcing these big ships was that they were pushing the scale and it literally pushing the scaling of this yeah. game and it was just going to become too big for its britches. So yeah, no, I agree. It'll be interesting to see if this is kind of like their last ditch effort on the X-wing or how they're going to do it. Are they yeah. going to keep? Maybe they'll keep creating custom ships maybe this yeah. maybe this ip in this game system has grown so much that even lucasfilm sees a future with it yeah. i don't know well because i know they're repurposing some of the ships and just calling them like the scum and villainy thing so they're just taking old y-wings and repainting them so they can do things with the cards but the ships themselves are already recycling and you know even in a whole new direction i'd be interested to see if they come out with ships this big for armada because already armada is supposed to be Giant ships made really tiny, so they're like X-wing size. Are they going to have giant Armada ships? Are they going to be able to do a Star Destroyer? I don't know. I just this. I love Star Wars, and this whole system they have has a lot of room to grow. But it also seems like maybe there's not as much as we thought. I don't know. It's just interesting. Maybe the next step is ground battles. I don't know. Oh, kind of like the Dungeons and Dragons. Man, if uh, we get a Hoth battle, we're gonna. Yeah. Gonna we're, gonna, whole... we're gonna battle on Hoth. <laughs> if we get a Hoth battle, we're gonna battle on I'm Hoth. Have a whole table dedicated to that that I will never break down. Anyway, yeah. nah. So that that you know, interested to see where they go with that. It's cool to see that the Imperial side is getting an equivalent because yeah. I know that was a big complaint when the the Corvette came out. Was what about us? All right. Well, any other news stories out there? I'm sure there is, but I'm not going to talk about them. Okay. Well, <laughs> then let's go ahead and you know we can Tiff can pipe in here because. She is our Kickstarter expert for the podcast. So, Tiff, let's let's chat Kickstarter for a little while, and now Dan can be quiet. So I got them things to say. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't English. I found my tongue. I've got some things to say. <laughs> okay. Um, so, Tiff, where do you want to start? Let's. What's the first project we're going to jump into? Well, there's not too much going on on Kickstarter right now, but one of the more interesting projects is ZNA by FunForge. This is. It's not a zombie game. It's a mutant game. But it it's a lot like a zombie game. Well, Why has it, it got a Z in the title? It's <laughs> What's the Z stand for? If it's not zombie, why not make it MNA? Because that doesn't sound as cool. Z makes everything sound cooler, like Xander with a Z. That sounds cool. It's, no, Xander is probably the kid who got picked on in high school. I know, but his parents thought it sounded cool. Yeah, they did, because they were like wannabe wizards. Right. No. <laughs> wizards are cool. I, I don't see your point. <laughs> All right, so let's chat about this. I think Xander, this. I think Wizard. I don't know why. So this is a cooperative survival board game, and this is set in a post-apocalyptic world 
that is not overrun with zombies. It's overrun with cool wizard mutants. They're just mutants. There's a fog that has come over post-apocalyptic Boston that turns people into these crazy mutants. I don't know if they eat people. They're just crazy and they'll attack you and you have to survive. Wait, how do they see you in the fog? Have you ever driven in fog? It's horrible. I have driven in fog. They have super mutant eyesight, probably. That's why it's scary, Dan. Fall Guys? This is not going to be a good game for you. It's too scary. No, no. I'm it's already too gross. horrified by this game. So let's actually chat about the game. Does it come with a fog machine? How cool would that be to just get that ambiance? That wouldn't be a bad idea. That would push up the price point, I think. It already has minis. It has a modular board. It, everything you would expect from a zombie game. They're calling it a monster game, so we can go with that. Yeah. It's but, zombies. They don't want to piss off people like me. Well, clearly they did their job. Okay. so <laughs> That's fine. There's a thousand suckers out there. And they also have a companion app that is that interacts with the board that you can use. So there's a lot going on here. Yeah, so this game, it's already met its funding goal it's got plenty of time left to go. Um, it'll be ending on January 16th. The problem that I see with it is $125 is the minimum. So you're getting this game for 125 bucks, which is a lot of money. Imperial Assault just cost 100 bucks, and that game is amazing, and it doesn't have zombies. <laughs> okay. Well, to think about like the corollary, so what is you know might be the main competition for a game like ZNA? I think the easy stretch would be like a zombie side. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. Any of those types of games with a modular cooperative modular board, this isn't that's nothing new. I think the thing that's going to separate this one out is the app. Or I heard on the thing that you are looting chemical storage facilities and you're collecting things to mix up concoctions. Yeah, so in the game, the characters that you can play as, you have kind of like a um a diehard Bruce Willis kind of guy who is John the Eye. Um, you have Smokey, who is like the special weapons expert. He's kind of like a dude in a gas mask. You have Maya, who is supposed to be like a, a prodigy chemistry student. And then you have Bee Mama, who is the self-proclaimed couch potato who runs around with two baseball bats with nails in them. She looks like the chick from... Orange is the new black. That's what I thought too. Yeah. yeah. Like so in this game you are kind of you're you're like hooligans. <laughs> not really, but you're like you're not a standard cast of like heroes. You're kind of this almost like zombie side, you're like this over the top overdone kind of group of people. So your agenda is not necessarily, I don't know, as noble as some other games might make it or like movies and things like that. So I personally, though, I don't know how I feel about these kind of like hokey characters again. I feel like they're overdone now. Now, is this my question is, is like, is the app, is that going to be like what separates games now? Are we going to have like these repeats of just the same old game? But then the thing, the selling point, like Tiff just said, is what makes it stand out is the app. Like, I don't know. It's just this. This doesn't seem different enough from things on the market right now, other than, like you said, the app. So is that going to be? What what makes this like the go-to off your shelf when you want one one like this? I think that in a game like this, that's what they're trying to use. Tr this game specifically is trying to use the app to stand out. Um, and they do have some really cool ideas. We're talking about an app that lets you drone hack, that gives you extra storytelling elements, um, that lets you edit your own maps and things like that. I mean, it, it's definitely got some unique characteristics. As far as like on the whole, are apps going to be used? We might be trending that way, and that might be, you know, just like 
minis and modular boards were the big way to stand out. Now maybe an app might be needed, but I don't know. I know that this game specifically seems to be doing that, though. How are you going to see an app in the fog? You actually can use the app to to cut through the fog the and flash things like feature. that. Um, it's, I mean, it's it looks cool and it's interesting on paper. I just don't know how it's going to be executed. I don't know, Tiff. How do you? I mean, how do you feel about from what you've read this whole inclusion of the app? Yeah, I mean, when so when I first started researching this, I was like, oh, another zombie game, and I like zombie games, so I don't usually discount them, but I am getting a little overloaded these days. And I watched a video for it, and not until they got to the app section was I like, oh, maybe I should consider backing this, um, just because the app looks cool. Like the whole idea of the app interacting with the board, you hold it over the board, and you. Get to see things through the app that's kind of cool and then also they mentioned something along the lines of like it helping you get things set up and and do things like that i think that's a really interesting direction to go with an app because what's the hugest barrier to entry with almost any game is the rules and knowing that you've set it up right and knowing that you're playing correctly if an app can be used to do that that's a great idea so I'm fascinated by it. I'm still getting worried about this app incorporation, though. I, I think there's a, a line where it's okay for me, but this one seems to be crossing over into the I'd rather just go play a video game. Oh, well, I would never rather play a video game. I guess that's the difference. Yeah, that's fair. But I think just for what they're trying to do here, it can be done so much better in like a Telltale game or some other like medium than a board game. For me, board game for me is analog. I want to be analog when I play a board game. Yeah, and... I mean, I don't know. This is a companion app, and it's not supposed to be like we've seen other projects. Do you where need it? Can you play without it? I believe so. And is I, it worth one hundred twenty-five dollars without it? I guess is the question. Well, I don't know, and I I hope it is. And the reason I say that is because some of the features of the app, like if you look at the stretch goals, six hundred thousand dollars is where you get companion level one, where you get game help, scenario setup, and the narrative voice for the game. To get the augmented reality, which is one of the coolest features, I think, which is where you can use the app to actually scan the board tiles and kind of do some cool manipulatives, um, $800,000 plus, up to a million dollars to get some of the app features. So you're not even getting some of the cool things of the app unless this funds astronomically, which right now, it's not going to go that high. It's doing well and it's funded, but it's it's not going to compete with a zombie side or like a Bones Miniatures, which are making millions of dollars. It just doesn't seem like they put the full confidence in the idea of the app. It's like part of the features are buried in stretch goals, which means if you want to use this app to stand out, why do we have to raise a million dollars for you to actually use it? Well, and it's weird because I just... Like I said, in the video, I didn't get to the app part until towards the end. It's not like they're really marketing like this is an app game. It's just that that is the feature that happens to be standing out. So I don't know if they're really marketing it that way. But then I guess they, sh- I, they in should. In my opinion, they should be. Like I think that that's the only way this project's gonna yeah gonna do well enough. Yeah, I agree with that. For me, if I'm gonna shell out 125 dollars on a board game, this needs to wow me and. If I'm not getting wowed until, you know, 5,000 other people are wowed and we get $800,000, I'm like, meh, I'll go spend my hundred and some dollars else. You know, $125 is a lot of board game. Right. Well, and if you look at other projects where you spend $125, other miniatures games, other zombie games, you're getting a boatload of zombie miniatures for that $125. It's like 30 or something. It doesn't look that many. It's got a fair bit. Um, 
you've got cool sculpts, some mutant minis, 45 of them. You've got mm-hmm. the heroes and the no, drones. Just the mutant minis, sorry. Yeah, there's different stuff, and you're unlocking them as you go. I just think that they should be putting their heart and soul into this app because if you look at the market, that's what's making this different. Otherwise, this looks it looks cool. It's got cool stylized art. It's got you know cool. It's, it's zombie side with a weather problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's done. It's been done before. It's gonna fund. Unless a lot of people back out, but I don't know that for 125 bucks I'm gonna bother with this project. And we talked, and I know I'll I'll end it on this. At least my thoughts. Uh, I know we talked to Stephen Bonacore last episode about his new miniatures project that'll be hitting Kickstarter, which is the new Space Cadets. But that's that's aliens, and for me that's something different. And if he can do that differently, I don't have a boatload of alien miniatures running around, so that's intriguing to me. It's a cool theme. It's a cool setting. It's cooperative. It's also got. Twice the number yeah. of miniatures. It's twenty five dollars cheaper, and yeah. it's coming from a uh, an IP that's already been built. Yeah, so that's where I'm sitting on this one. We'll see. Sorry, Tiff. I didn't mean to hijack it. No, it's okay. I don't need to talk this episode. It's totally fine. Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> well, Tiff, you are more than welcome to talk. So, how about you tell me about the next Kickstarter project? All right. So the other game that uh, kind of stuck out to me is Board Game Geek, the card game. This is only going to have a few days to go once this releases, but it's done on January 5th. It's a card game based on the website of BoardGameGeek. As far as I can tell, there's no video for it, which is kind of just strange for Kickstarter in general. Um, It looks like a set collection card game where the cards are the game entries from the website. They're suits and colors by what category they're in. So like thematic games, card games, that kind of thing. And you're collecting sets in order to get points. You know, what's interesting about this. Like it has the hundred dollar funding goal, which is something that game salute has come to do recently. And this Kickstarter doesn't mention game salute in any way, shape or form. But when I was on game salute's website the other day, they were taking pre-orders for this game. So they're going to have some hand in the distribution of it. But it almost came across as they didn't want to put it on there for fear of like negative kickback, maybe. I don't know. Well, there are a lot of people upset with Game Salute these days. So yeah. that makes sense that they would want to distance themselves a little bit from that. Yeah, and I don't know for sure. I just I was looking on their website the other day and I saw it and I was like, huh. When I saw the Kickstarter, I didn't see Game Salute mentioned at all. So Yeah, I think it's also has the same effect, though. They or a different effect in that they put Board Game Geek as like the... Yeah, the producer of the game, so we know that this is going through them. Sure. No, no, yeah, yeah. I, I can see it both ways. I just thought it was interesting. The game is hideous, so there we go. Well, yeah, so <laughs> how do you guys feel about the aesthetic appeal of this game? I mean, it looks a lot like the site. I was going to say, it's totally based on the site, so if you hate the look of the site, which I don't think too many people are fond of it, it the game doesn't look great in that regard. So, well, I guess then in this sense, so we just looked at a game that's big and flashy and expensive. This game is 20 bucks, um, and it's, how does it factor in the fact that this is strictly for BGG? Like, this is a, um, so this is a game to benefit the site itself. So almost backing this helps to support the hobby and, like, this gaming hub. They just did I Hate Zombies as well, which was supposed to benefit the site, I thought. Yeah, and it will. I'm just... I think they're they have like a whole series that's coming. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I love the site and they're doing the drive, the pledge drive, which mm-hmm. I did, which is great. But um where's all this money going? I, I don't know if I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I'm just wondering where all this money is going because I think that that's site a fair question. is hideous and I don't see too much new innovation in how it's running. Like so it'd be nice to know where the, the funds for these they they keep saying it benefits the site. 
just be nice to see, you know, where a lot of Kickstarters show you the breakdown of how funds are going. It'd be nice to just know what Board Game Geek has in store. I'm sure it's something good, and I'm not saying anything negative against Board Game Geek because they're a great service to all of us, but just be nice to know. But they're sitting on over a hundred grand for this year, and you know where does that go? They have a they are at every convention, and they're pressing and. Well, and that's the thing. I think there's a lot of upkeep that goes into that. I mean, whether you like the look of it or not. The server costs alone for that site are probably astronomical. Right. And what I've heard is that they've gotten too far ahead of themselves in terms of the site. Like, there's too much information within the site that to take it down and revamp it would they'd be out for months. Yeah. Just to no, try to like redo no, it. No, definitely the, the the database, the back end of this whole site is probably uh, enormous. But anyway, back to the game itself. I mean, is this something that you guys would be interested in backing no. for the game? I would rather just donate the money straight yeah. to the heat. Uh, I'm happy to just donate to the pledge drive. This game doesn't really interest me in the yeah. least. Well, and I take that $100 funding goal to kind of mean that same thing. Like, really, it seems to be a project that's more for somebody who just wants to pledge and get a little something, but also help out BGG. You know, they weren't looking for $20,000 to make this game. They have a game. It's just another way to raise funds, so... It's just too meta for me. <laughs> it's too trippy. I don't want to have to look at my habits like this. It might be a good way to like pick your next game. Like if you just got the cards to have like the inventory of cards, and you then just you shuffle just, them up. You shuffle them up and deal them out. All right, that's our next game. Looks like we're playing Memoir Forty Four today. <laughs> I don't know. For those that can't decide, who knows? Yeah. Um, but you know, more power to them. Great site. I don't know about the game. Something worth checking out. There'll be four days left by the time you guys hear this, so give it a look. Or just donate to BGG. Yep. Their pledge drive is going on. Either way, help them out. And then the last one that we're looking at is another Queen Big Box, uh, the Lancaster Big Box. Have they run out of games to Big Box yet? Or do they have any more? They're getting there. This is one of the last ones, I think. I think pretty soon they're just going to put every Queen game in one box and sell it as the the giant box. The Queen (laughs) Big Box... Game box. It'll be like the size of a Borg cube. Box of Balooza. The big box of big box games. So it'll be every queen game in one box. And it'll fit in no shelf. (laughs) It will be a shelf. Well, these already don't fit very well in shelves. Oh, they don't. I I cannot get another big box. I'm out of... uh, I'm actually a fan of the big box. For the games that... Like, I have the Fresco one. I do, too. And for the... For Smea the money we has spent... Alhambra. Yes, me as Alhambra. I have that, too. you spend and you get... I don't like Alhambra that much, but um, <laughs> for the money you get a, a decent amount of product in that box, and it's all stored in nicely, um, you know, cut out inserts, and it's just right there in one package, which is great, especially for Fresco, which has like ten uh, different expansions for it. Um, it was awesome, and Lancaster, I'm a backer of this currently, and Lancaster is probably one of my favorite of their games. It's a, it's, I think it's an underrated game. I don't think this game gets. I mean, I know it got. Uh, Spiel Jaris, I think, recommendation at some point, 2012 or something like that. But you don't hear a lot of people talking about Lancaster, and I think it's, I it's, think it's one game. that should be talked about more often. Yeah, I just, here's the thing about the big boxes. They are a fantastic value, but Queen Games is almost training people not to buy, to be an early adopter of their game. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. So you don't want to buy a Queen game and then wait for the two expansions when you can just wait another six months and get the big box. Yeah. <laughs> it also... Well, exactly what you said in another way is just that it it's a bummer for all the people who already own the game, which is what you said, don't be an early adopter. But True. it's just like some of these games are old enough where before the big boxes, you didn't even know they were going to happen. 
I was going to say, some people's first exposure to the game is the big box. Yeah. That's true. But if you look at, like, Escape. Yeah, I was bummed about Escape because I already owned an expansion in the main game and I was not going to pay that money to get the same thing over again, even if it was in a giant box. I don't have a problem with the big boxes. I'm just saying that for some people, now when I look, when Queen comes out with a new game, I think twice. Because I'm like, is this going to have expansions? Am I going to want a big box of this? I don't know. Well, Lancaster um, is, it's met its funding goal. It's over $80,000 of a 10,000 goal. It'll be done on January 5th. So once again, only a few days left to jump in. Um, The strange thing about this, so you get Lancaster, you get the two expansions, you get um, a couple extra things, including a new game board, which is cool, like uh, the new art and stuff. Um, the current pledge level that you can go for is 82 bucks. This is technically a limited early bird, but they have 65 of them left, and then they have another $82 early bird right after that. Stupid early birds. Yeah, but the strange thing about this is that all of those cheap levels force you to also get a copy of Edo. And which I'm going to turn around and sell. Yeah, <laughs> if you can sell it, though, because uh, I think everybody's going to have that. Everyone's going to have Edo now. That's All the 800 of these backers are going to have Edo. Like, it's cool that you get an extra game, and if you don't have Edo, fantastic, you get a free game. But why are they forcing you? Like, are they trying to ditch some stock they have or something? Probably. It seems that way. Yeah, they're just clearing it out. But I'm thinking, like, for 82 bucks, you're getting a game that's probably, like, 50 bucks retail, plus two expansions. Like, you're probably getting $80 worth of games. So you're they're essentially, just sweetening they're just, the pot. They're giving away a game. Now, does this have stretch goals, or are they, is this how they're sweetening it? They do not have stretch goals. So that might be, like, the sweetener is, hey, we're going to throw in this free full box game. Yeah, but I um, think that the... For you to back. The big box itself is the sweetener. Like, oh. the fact that you're getting everything at once, because if you already have Kickstarter... I'm, Excuse me. If you already have Lancaster, you're not buying the big box anyways, whether or not it comes with Edo. 20 bucks to Smee buys this. Why? Because you get it. And the second expansion is not easy to come by. He owns Lancaster and Edo. I know. <laughs> oh, he no. He probably, well, no, he might not because he does have Edo. You're right. <laughs> you're right. But the second expansion is tough to come by. At least for me, it has been. Anywho, Tiff, do you have any interest in Lancaster itself? I don't know. I've never played it. I think you would like it. Yeah. It's I'm... a. It's a really cool twist on the worker placement you can bump it's got a bump mechanic but it's not a bump like euphoria it's a bump that you have to like earn oh really because i like euphoria yeah well that's (laughs) you've got issues in yourself i'm sorry it's it's an interesting mechanic and there's a couple of other things you're trying to there's a little set collection in it there's a couple of different mashed mechanics into this really pretty streamlined package there it's cool yeah i'll check it out i'll do some research before this kickstarter's over I think Lancaster is one to look into. It's it's a boring looking game. It's yeah. When we first got the Queen it, game like, aesthetic, oh, yeah, it looks kind of lame. But it really is a, a fun worker placement game, and it's really easy to get to the table. It's one that I would back if Dan hadn't already backed it, just because I don't own any of these games. But it, it's it's definitely worth having in a collection. I think. You get in my spot. <laughs> give me eighty bucks. It's yours. <laughs> so anything else on Lancaster? No, I think that wraps it up for Kickstarter. Actually. I think so. Boom, Kickstarter. A dying cause. Wow. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I think it's just that time of year. So we can go ahead and take a break, and when we come back, we're going to jump into our nonsensical yearbook for 2014 and chat about our superlatives. And then we will also be announcing our contest winners. I don't know if I mentioned that earlier, but uh, stay tuned for that.
Alright everyone, so 2014 is officially over. We are in the new year. It's time to look back and go over some of our board game superlatives in the nonsensical yearbook. So we've got a couple different categories laid out and we are going to go round robin around the table and give our picks for each superlative and we'll see what everybody thought of 2014. So we're going to go ahead and get started with best dressed. What game had the best components, look, or aesthetic of 2014? Um, I'll start. And my pick for this one, the best dressed game, was Zaya, Legends of a Drift System by Cody Miller. This was kickstarted beyond successfully and just came out, I believe it was in November. And the components are amazing. There is 21 individually sculpted ships, all pre-painted. Um, the coins in this game are triangular metal coins like little credit tokens they're phenomenal i've never seen anything like them all of the other um, components are very good cardboard thickness your typical cubes good card stock i think it's the highest grade card stock you can get and i can't think of what that is off the top of my head but it's above linen um, so this game was beyond my expectations um, as far as component quality and it is a worthy winner all right, Tiff. So 2014, who is best dressed? I think it's got to go to Cold Express. I haven't gotten to play the game yet, but just on the table, it looks amazing. The 3D trains. I don't think there are too many games that have 3D components. So, yeah, Cold Express. So you just kind of build it and drive it around your room going choo-choo. Yeah, and I have the... It's exactly what I do. And I have the player mat from Board Game Geek, which makes it look even better. Nice. To be fair, Dan just flies around his little spaceships all day. So. <laughs> all right, well, my pick for best dress, I don't know if I should bother even talking again about this game. I know what it is. <laughs> probably this. It, it is. I just, as I sat in class all 2014 and stared at Abyss's beautiful face, I just couldn't help but vote for it. Uh, Abyss, it, it's amazing. Look at the game. Look at the, the pearls that you use for money. It's got nice little shell... Um, plastic cutouts to hold your pearls and you can swirl them around in there it makes such a nice noise you've got the beautiful cards and the artwork they're nice quality you've got that awesome board with the council on it comes in that awesome box when have you ever seen a box that looked like that so good best dress by far goes to abyss that's my runner-up fair enough i won't argue all right so moving right along next up for our superlatives most likely to succeed. So let's talk about some games that have the most potential staying power. What games are gonna we gonna be playing five years from now? Uh, my choice for this was the new, newly released Imperial Assault from FFG. The retheming of Descent, essentially in the Star Wars universe. This thing will probably blow up at some point. I think the Star Wars IP itself is a huge draw for gamers and non-gamers alike. Uh, then throw in the dungeon crawling aspect and the probably 90,000 expansions that Fantasy Flight will come out with. I mean, they've already got a bunch of them coming out in the first quarter of next year. I think this one's going to be around for a while. Tiff, most likely to succeed. I went with Imperial Settlers. I think this one was super popular this year. It's still People are still playing it and talking about it. People are eager for expansions. So I think this one you're going to see around for a while. 
Well, my vote for most likely to succeed, I am cautious to put any faith in these bigger games. So I trust the filler games, the ones you can count on to come out on family events and when anybody's around. So I think cheap-ass games, Pairs, is going to be a game that I'm playing five years from now. And yes, I'm a broken record and talk about the same games all the time, but I only buy the games that I think are going to stick around. And I think that Pairs, there's no reason this game will ever go out of fashion. It could be a flash in the pan. I don't know. I, what happens when they come out with watermelon in the card game? <laughs> I see no reason not to ever break this out at a bar or when you're hanging out. I'm not saying it's. I'm going to be playing it for hours on end, but I'm going to break this game out if I need to pick who's going to go first or who's going to choose the next game. Let's play a quick round of pairs. It's like blackjack. Simple and easy. You could gamble during it. Anyway, we'll that's see. Cool. Just cool. wait. There's going to be another when you're playing a real-life Stormtrooper from FFG and you get to dress up in a real Stormtrooper outfit. You won't be playing Imperial Assault anymore. So our next accolade is Class Clown. So this is most over-the-top fun game. So a game that has you shouting, hollering, all around the table. Most over-the-top fun game. Uh, my choice for this was Volt from Nazca Games. Uh, this is a robot programmable movement game in the same vein as uh, Robo Rally, but this one is on a more compact board. Uh, the robots can all have customized weapons and things, and the maneuvering of the robots behind your player screen using this really simple but intuitive uh, and unique uh, movement mechanic uh, was a lot of fun. And I just found myself yelling the whole time because I always like fell into a pit or I went in the wrong direction or someone else bumped me. So these these programmable movement games always um, give me give me a laugh because I can't take them too serious because I suck at them. Uh, but this one was just over the top fun, like Matt was saying with the superlative. And I really enjoyed myself. Tiff, Class Clown Vote 2014. Mine was for Camel Up. I think... It's a camel racing game, which is already funny. The camels end up like being stacked on top of each other, also hilarious. And then there's always that always-behind underdog character that you're rooting for and gets everybody excited towards the end of the game. Well, my choice for Class Clown was Fun Farm. So Fun Farm is a game with tiny, squishy, stress ball animals and some crazy dice rolling that we have played only a few times. I think people have ended up bleeding People have been pushed to the ground in an attempt to grab a foam chicken. Uh, this game is all over the place and a whole lot of fun. It is super loud, and we have a ball with it, especially when we get six, seven, eight players around the table. Um, this is definitely a fun one and creates a lot of memories, for sure. That one was on my list until I realized it, it came out in 2013. How are you going to call me on that? I'm just calling you. I just, we should probably mention that we're allowing some things that were from Spiel 2013. Taking a few liberties with our 2014. It'll Spiel Spiel year. I couldn't get it until 2014. That's our own calendar. We don't have to follow the normal Roman calendar. Is it Roman? Are we following a Roman calendar? We don't have to follow a calendar. I am just saying that I, I too, thought Fun Farm was an excellent Which calendar do we follow? All right, so Dan. (laughs) I have no idea which calendar we're following. I'm in the Chinese New Year right now. While you get your sense of time back together, uh, let's talk about most likely to bring home to mom. What is your best family or gateway game? And I don't want to offend any moms out there. There's hardcore gaming moms out there. Not all moms are gateway gamers. But anyway. Our mom is not. And she is the mom I have been blessed to be stuck with for the last 30 plus years. My game choice was Camel Up, as Tiff just said, um, basically for all the same reasons. Mine was Medieval Academy. That is an awesome choice. I love that game. 
Yeah. <laughs> it might be a little too nerdy, gamery. It kind of depends on your mom. I mean, my mom would never play Medieval Academy, but my mom would never play any game. So this one was a hard one for me. Our mom won Medieval Academy. so. Well, there you go. It's the most likely for me to bring home to your mom. What are you trying to say about my mom? <laughs> are you hanging out with our mom? Not yet. That's cool. <laughs> Not yet. It's it's a goal of mine. Well, it should be. when you cool. when you finally achieve it and you come over, the game that I will be bringing home to mom is actually the same game as Dan. We'll be bringing Camel Up because Camel Up's awesome. You race camels. I mean, that's it's pretty excellent. All right, so our next superlative, most likely to repeat senior year. So this is a game that you just can't get right the first time and might take a few plays to get used to. Anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that that godforsaken five tribes, I just can't wrap my meeple-sized brain around. I, it's, I've played it, I don't know, two, three times now, and I still don't understand what the hell you're supposed to be doing in it. Um, it's one of those games that I just go and I just drop off my meeples where they please and I pick meeples up and I don't really understand why or how or how it's going to affect anyone because if I tried to, my brain would explode. So interesting game, very unique, but I have no clue what I'm doing most of the time. Fair enough. Tiff, most likely to repeat senior year. I had a hard time with this one, but the, the game that I had the hardest time deciding whether or not I thought it was a good game or a fun game or exactly how to play it was Madam Ching. Another Bruno Cathala. He's everywhere. I guess 2014 so. was the year of Cathala. His games are confusing. No, I'm kidding. They're and great. varied. <laughs> varied. Varied is the word for it. Because not all of his games are confusing, and I'm generally a fan. Yeah, no, I, I enjoy them. But a game we'll talk about later, Longhorn, for instance, is just... I, I don't get the strategy in that game. <laughs> well... My game for most likely to repeat senior year is from another guy that I can never get the first time around, Stefan Feld. La Isla is a game for me that I need to play multiple times. I couldn't, I can't get it on the first time. It's most likely to repeat senior year for me. If you don't understand La Isla, you're not just repeating senior year. You're repeating junior and sophomore. Well, you know, (laughs) I get the game. I know how to play it. But in terms of strategy and how to win it. It's not happening for me. So that's a game that I needed a couple plays for, but that's most Felds for me. Sorry to disappoint. No, I think that's most Felds for anyone. I'm not going to take that away from you. All right. So moving right along, let's go ahead and talk about most athletic. So this is our best dexterity game. What game are you getting up and moving for? Doodle Quest. I love drawing doodles on transparencies. And this game allows you to draw doodles on transparencies. That's basically what you do. You're trying to... Look at this image, and you're trying to draw lines and circles and all kinds of stuff to score points, and it's great. And you think you've done well, and you put it up against the image, and you realize that you have done horrible, and still love it. Great game. You drew right through every fish. Yep. All the fish were speared. Uh, But yeah, great game from Blue Orange. Great game, but not very athletic for a dexterity game. Hey, still counts, you know? I work my mind, Tiff, as well as my body. All right. We play Doodle Quest on treadmills. It's there you tough. go. That makes sense. That would be a... Well, Tiff, you are the queen of dexterity games, so let's talk. What's your what's your best dexterity game, most athletic for 2014? Well, every game that I considered for best dexterity game was all from 2013, like Fun Farm, Discount Salmon, Coconuts. I looked them all up, and they're all from 2013. So I, because I like to stick to the rules, unlike some of my co-hosts, I am going to go... 
Yeah, I'm going to go with Blocky Mountains, which I talked about on the last podcast. I haven't gotten it yet, but I know it's going to be sweet. And that's the game that we had no idea existed. Nope. So you'll have to let us know how that goes. Oh, I will. All right, well, my pick, once again, is Dan's pick. Doodle Quest, by far the best dexterity game, partially because, like Tiff said, not a lot of dexterity games, memorable at least, coming out in 2014. And I figured I wouldn't break the, the rules twice within a couple rounds. So our next accolade is Best Celebrity Lookalike. So this is the best game that recycles a popular mechanic. So, Dan? It's the Gregorian calendar. The Julian calendar has more than 365 days. That's what I was thinking, the Roman part, Julian. I don't know why. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad we covered that. Yeah, it was a real no. cliffhanger you left us on, Dan. No, yeah. seriously, guys. Welcome back. So best game that recycles a popular mechanic, Dan? Uh, the best game for me that recycled a popular mechanic, actually this recycled a popular game in itself, and that was Lords of Zidit, which is a remake uh, and re-structuring kind of, of Himalaya, which is a game where you're using programmable movement to accomplish the different objectives that you need to. Um, but this game did it with that Asmodee flair, which was amazing miniatures, uh, beautiful board. It was based in the, um, the Seasons realm, so the art was great. Um, again, I love those little miniatures. They just added a little something to the game, and it was uh, a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that one. Tiff, how about you? Best celebrity lookalike? Oh, this one, hands down, goes to Pandemic the Cure. Ah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it basically recycles a whole game, too, but just streamlines it a little bit more, makes it even more playable, and we've gotten it to the table a lot of times. I love this game, Pandemic. Very nice. Yeah. I'm looking forward to picking that one up. So good. Well, my best celebrity lookalike is Marvel Dice Masters, or the Dice Master system in general. So this is a complete rehash of the Courier system, which uses uh, deck building, but instead your dice bag building. Took Couriers, made it two-player and head-to-head, which was a much better version, and I think this was an awesome way to kind of reskin that whole dice building idea. So that is my best celebrity lookalike. So... Our next accolade, our next superlative, is Biggest Flirt. So this is the biggest hyped game of the year. Dan, how about you? Uh, for me, when I think of Biggest Flirt, I think of Biggest Hype Game, but also the biggest kind of letdown. You know, like a girl that flirts with you and then doesn't give you her number. I don't think that's ever happened to me. That doesn't happen to me either, but... No. It never happens to me. Always happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know Tiff and Steve Monacor, it never happens. That's cool. <laughs> Everyone loves them. But for me, it was Dead of Winter. Uh, this game, I was, I don't know, I'm not a huge semi-cooperative fan. Uh, I hate zombies, but I thought I'd give this one a try. It's Plaid Hat. Um, their track record is pretty solid. I uh, really enjoyed the thought of the crossroad cards, but after playing it the three times or whatever I've played it, I just was bored of it. I just didn't see the hype. I don't get it. Um, the crossroad cards were kind of a letdown. While still a cool mechanic, uh, they didn't trigger as frequently as, as I would have liked. They didn't affect gameplay um, the way I thought they should have. The random kind of dice rolling just pissed me off because my characters kept dying on first turns and stuff like that. And it was just, I don't know. I just didn't care for it. It's not bad. I can understand why some people would like it, but I do not like it myself. Sounds like you were terrible at it. <laughs> dice rolling how can it be terrible at it? you just roll dice it's there random. is strategy involved in that game there's some yes I, I get that but for me i don't think it lives up to this hype i think it's way overhyped 
Well, it was my choice for biggest hype game of the year as well. So for a lot of the reasons that you said, I don't think it's a bad game. I definitely want to play it some more. I just thought that it was super hyped. And I think for a good reason, it's taking the zombie theme and twisting it a little bit, making it less about just knocking down zombies and more about the social aspects of you know, surviving a post-apocalyptic situation. But at the same time, I don't think, for me, it didn't feel as new as I thought it was going to. That's a good point. What Tiff said. All right, well, going in a whole nother direction, my biggest splurt, the biggest hype game of this year, I didn't necessarily have the letdown caveat, but I know for a lot of people this actually was a a letdown. I'm recycling and using Marvel Dice Masters again. This game was crazy hyped, and they fell through on supply and distribution with the first set. A lot of people were disappointed. I was fortunate enough to kind of get in um, on the ground floor and get what I needed to play the game, so... This game was hugely hyped. I love it. I think that it deserved a lot of the hype that it got, but it also was a big letdown for a lot of people because they WizKids dropped the ball big time. And now what has happened is you've got piles and piles of Uncanny X-Men stock sitting in stores because nobody wanted to waste the time with it and they didn't get on the ground floor. So that is my biggest hype game of this year. Let's talk about the most intelligent, the best heavy Euro game or Euro game, games that make you think. Most intelligent, Dan. Okay, well this one, I wanted to be different than my game of the year, which is also a Euro. So I went ahead and chose, uh, and this is on the Spiel calendar, so Spiel to Spiel. I went with Lois and Clark. The um, Lois and Clark? Yeah, sorry, Lewis and Clark. Sorry. Not, not, it can be Lois, it's fine. That's cool. I don't know. That was a good show. <laughs> I never watched it. It's Terry Hatcher. I watched Desperate Housewives, but I didn't watch Lois and Clark. We won't talk about that. But yeah, Lewis and Clark, uh, it's a race game. So you're racing your camp um, along the river to try and get to was it St. Louis or wherever they're going. Throughout it, you're helping the the Indians, the Native Americans. They're giving you resources, etc. It's just a really good game. Uh, the first couple times you play it, your brain will melt. Uh, it's hugely AP prone. Uh, just looking at all the various combinations because you're playing cards from your hand. Your hand basically... Uh, allows you to take actions based on how you place them down and then you can power them with other cards or Native Americans to increase the actions you can take. So coming up with the uh, actions you want to take and then how much you want to take them to form your combos and your resource gathering, etc. It was just like, oh boy, I need to take a step back. But it's so good. It's a really, really good game. I like that game. Uh, for my what is this? My most intelligent game. I picked Panamax from Stronghold Games. We've talked about it before on the show, but you're you're basically shipping goods and, and passengers through the Panama Canal. The thing I like about it is that it's set in a historical time period that I'm I like a lot. The early 20th century is just a fascinating time for me to uh, research, and they kind of timed it with the, the 100 year anniversary of the Panama Canal, so that was kind of neat. And the game is great too, so... Panamax. My most intelligent is Argent the Consortium, or Consortium. Uh, This is from Level 99 Games. This is a game that just hit at the end of this year. We got a chance to play a pretty finished prototype copy at Origins, and this game is heavy. It's got a lot going on, a lot of moving pieces, but it's got a really cool fantasy theme on it. I'm super pumped to actually get my copy of it um, when I place the order. Yeah, this is a Euro that I could get behind a lot. Uh, Panamax was a close runner-up because I did enjoy that game. Um, but I know that Argent really stood out to me when I got when I got my play in. So that is my pick for best 
heavy or you know most intelligent Euro game. So let's go ahead and jump to a different side of things and talk most economic. What is the best valued game? So for my most economic game, uh, best value in a small package, I'm going to go with Coin Age from Adam MacGyver and TMG, uh, Tasty Minstrel Games. Uh, this game costs about three cents, and it's amazing. It fits in your wallet. You can take it with you. You play with some pocket change. Uh, it's got different maps. It's just a really unique uh, game for area control. Like I said, you're playing with just the coins in your pocket. It's it's really cool. Um, I really enjoyed the different the different strategies. I think it's got a, it's actually got some decent emergent gameplay after a few plays of it. And like I said, it's it's dirt cheap. You can get it for less than five bucks. Tiff, what game do you think was best valued in 2014? I'm going with La Isla. For what you get in the box, I think I paid $37 for it. And you're never going to play the same game twice because of the the way the weird island pieces are modular and they mix up every single time. You're going to have different powers every single time. There are a thousand bajillion cards. So I think it's got a lot of replay and it's fun and it's fast and it's great. Uh, all right, so my most economic game of 2014 is Chimera from Z-Man Games. So this is a game that you can get for like 25 bucks, much cheaper online, um, and is it's a classic feeling card game. Um, it's only for three players, but if you've got three players who can meet every week or something, like if you had you know a parts club or a bridge club or something like that, if you've got friends who can meet up on the reg, then you're going to get a lot of value out of Chimera. It is an awesome game. Um, it's got a lot of different strategy, even though you kind of know what's going on in the game. It's it's all about how you play the hand that you're dealt. Um, and I really enjoy it, and I think it's an awesome game to pick up. Matt, the 1990s called, and they want on the reg phrase back. Thanks. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> Um, so moving on, our next superlative is most inspirational. So this is the most unique game of this year. Uh, my most unique game was Quantum from FunForge. Uh, this is designed by Eric Zimmerman. It's a game using dice as your spaceships, and you're trying to conquer different planets on the in, throughout the galaxy. Um, the board is modular, so you can set it up various ways depending on player count or just however you want to set it up. It doesn't matter. It's really cool like that. Um, the way the dice are used is so unique, uh, so cool. It's uh, very intuitive. It's fluent. It's just a really quick, pa- fast-paced game, and I-, I enjoy it. For most unique, I picked Doodle Quest. That's all I have to say about that, because Dan already talked about Doodle Quest. (laughs) (laughs) You like doodling on transparent things, too? I sure do. It's definitely a unique one. Well, my most inspirational for 2014 is Euphoria. This is a Dice's Workers game, which has been done before. It's got some worker placement elements which feel familiar, but it's got a unique mechanic with um, the intelligence thing and how you roll your dice. It also has a lot of different resources and set collection to kind of work with, and then this kind of not semi-cooperative, but you can all contribute to certain areas of the board um, to unlock certain things and give different benefits. Um, Plus the theming, dystopian future is not something that you see too often, even though you do see a lot of sci-fi games. I think that this particular flavor and the illusions that are made to a lot of popular um, dystopian fiction and novels, I really like it and I thought it was very unique. I'm very glad to have it on my shelf. And that is my most inspirational of 2014. Excellent choice, Matt. I approve of that choice. Thanks, Tiff. Dan, now you can boo. 
Boo. Thanks. Let's see what's really going to happen is when we edit this, I'm going to Franken clip a whole bunch of Dan talking about how good this game is. I approve. Just take his quantum stuff and put Euphoria. <laughs> <laughs> I know I have clips of him <laughs> saying Euphoria, so it shouldn't be a problem. So most likely to be caught sleeping in class is our next superlative. Dan, what is the most boring game this year that you played? Uh, my most boring game is Splendor. Now, that doesn't mean it's a bad game. I think it's a mechanically sound game. I think it's a great introduction to set collection and a little bit of hand management and a couple other mechanics, as I've said before. But this game put me to sleep. It has zero theme. Uh, The components are beautiful, but I think they needed to be because otherwise everyone would be asleep playing it. The clicking and the pulling of the chips and playing with them, that's the only thing that keeps me awake during this game. It's just a snooze fest tiff how about you what game is most likely to be caught sleeping in class the game i picked was five tribes i still don't know if i like this game after a couple of plays i really want to like it the mancala aspect of it really intrigues me but i uh i just don't know there's a lot of staring at that board so if you're playing with enough players you could potentially catch a little nap in between your turns that is probably true and it wouldn't matter because your strategy only matters when you take your turn so my most likely to be caught sleeping in class my most boring game this year which i can say with much confidence was castles of mad king ludwig that game i might have actually fallen asleep it was the first game that i ever played at origins the first demo we had and i thought it was boring and that's pretty much all i need to say we got a few superlatives left And our next one is going to be most likely to become a teacher. So the best games are the easiest games to teach to your friends. Uh, For this one, I went with Medieval Academy. So this was, I think Tiff already talked about this one, right? I did. She did. So what Tiff said. (laughs) And mine was already talked about as well. It is Pears. Very nice. Well, mine was not talked about. It is Istanbul. Now, this is a little bit heavier game, and it's not the easiest game to teach, but I think that for the weight that it is, Istanbul is a very easy game to teach to people. You just have to explain the tiles and how you pick up your people. I think it's an awesome little game. Uh, There's a rumor, too, that Rutger Dorn is working on two expansions for it. All right, so before we get into, you know, our big games of the year, we've got most likely to make millions as our superlative. So this is the game that's most likely to turn into a franchise or series. Which game are we going to see pop up again and again? Uh, My choice was easy for me because it's one that's really already turned into a franchise or series, and that's the Dice Masters system, uh, which started with the Marvel Dice Masters, obviously released this year to great hoopla and failure, uh, but they've also announced that there's various uh, spinoffs. So they're going to have the DC version, uh, DC Comics version. They're also going to have Dungeons and Dragons, and I think they've also announced one other that's Yu-Gi-Oh. The, Yu-Gi-Oh. That's why I didn't know it because I don't know Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, it's just all of WizKids licenses are okay. going to get Dice Masters. So yeah, I think this. I think like Matt had said before, uh, Marvel Dice Masters has kind of tailed off. I think people were just so frustrated with their ability to get product. When it first released, that it's kind of hurt them in that way. But I really do think that these other spinoffs that allow people to get in on the ground floor will uh, will boost it up again. And mine is Legendary Encounters. So it's another system. Basically, the Legendary system is already in place. There's Marvel Legendary. They're going to have Terminator. They're going to have Predators. So, yeah, who doesn't like at least one of those? I got it for Christmas. We can play now. I know. Yay. I'm so excited. Why are we whispering? So I can cut this. I see dead people. (laughs) 
So my most likely to make millions is a game that Dan already spoke about. This is Imperial Assault, and it probably has already made a ton of money. And the expansions will be coming because it's FFG. So look forward to more of that. All right, our second to last superlative is Best Couple, meaning Best Two-Player Game. Uh, mine was Star Realms, um, more specifically the app, but I do also have the uh, the hard copy card version. Uh, this is a deck building game, which usually isn't my bag, but I did enjoy the light and quick nature of this one. Uh, it's fast paced. It actually has direct conflict in it. You're playing each other, trying to blow up the other player using your fleet of ships. Um, it's just a really good game. I prefer it on the app because of the scorekeeping and just the quickness of it, but I do think it's a really good card game as well. So, uh, for best couple, I actually, it's a couple of two-player games. I picked the Mint 10 games. Um, I've, I got those to review and have played them incessantly throughout the last couple of months. Um, they're perfect for lunchtime. Mint 10 Aliens has a feel kind of like Jaipur, which I love that game, and it adds a couple of twists and turns that make it a little bit more interesting. And uh, Mint 10 Pirates, you are trying to blow your other player out of the water with bombs and and daggers and things like that trying to steal the dudes off of his ship so both of those games are super quick and ultra portable they fit literally in a mint tin good games mint tin games very cool my best couple is sun Tzu, which is actually a remake and reprint of an older game but it's a new and deluxe version for 2014 and this is a, a small area control game takes about half an hour um, but it's got some interesting card and hand management play and it's it's thinky. Uh, ben and I have gotten a couple plays in, and we are really enjoying it. So as a two-player gamer, I feel very confident in saying this is a really solid two-player game from 2014. All right, so now for the finale. The Homecoming King and Queen. Dan, your game or games of the year for 2014. Uh, my game of the year, again on the Spiel to Spiel year, is Rococo. I've said this a couple times. I absolutely love this game. Uh, it's so well done. The unique theme, uh, while some may be turned off by a game that's technically making dresses and suits for a ball in medieval France or wherever it takes place. Sorry, it is France. Rococo's France period, I think. Um, I really enjoy it. The, it's got a deck building aspect to it, uh, but it's very small. And it's it's manageable because you get to choose the cards from your hand to play each round. Um, resource collection. Um, it's I love it. It's just a great mix um, and again, paired with that unique kind of quirky theme, it really, really was a great experience for me. And I, I found out recently that one of the co-designers was only 16. That's insane. But I digress. Rococo. Amazing. And my runner-up is a game that wasn't released in 2013 or 2014, but in 2011. But I was not made aware of it until Gen Con of this year, and that is Rhino Hero from Haba. This is a dexterity card stacking game. So much fun. Such a portable little package. It's just one of those games that if you don't like it, there's probably something wrong with you because it's just it's such a great time. Anyone can play it. And who doesn't love stacking cards? That's one of the most fun things to do. So Rhino Hero is my runner-up. Tiffany B., who are you crowning as your homecoming king and queen for 2014? If you guys can't guess this one, I'm going to be real disappointed. Take a guess. Waggle Dance. No. Run, fight, or die. No. It's La Isla. Oh, uh, of course it is. La <laughs> Isla is so good, guys. It's spelled, but it's easier to teach, and it's tactical. And I mean, 
I could put it for most of the categories we put today. It's it's cheap. It's oh, it's so good. It's just so good. It's not the best dressed, but other than that, <laughs> no, it's so no, good. It's ugly. <laughs> but I mean. Oh. I can't even say enough about it. I love being an explorer and going out and collecting dodo birds and stuff. And I like having special powers that change and having to always pick the best of the worst possible hand of cards. That's great. I love this game. Well, I'm glad that you found a game that you can be so passionate about, Tiff. There's something wrong with you. There is something wrong with you. (laughs) Well, my homecoming king and queen, you guys can probably guess what that is if we're playing the guessing game. It's Abyss. It's definitely Abyss. It's not Abyss. What? It's Hyperborea. (laughs) Of course. It's either one of the two. My game of the year is Hyperborea. I am in love with this game. I've played it a ton of times already. Um, It looks great. It plays awesome. I love the cube building. I love the stuff on the map. I know that everyone I played with has had different kind of comments and concerns about it, but I'm loving it. Every time I play it, it's interesting to explore different strategies and to try out the different um, races. It's an awesome production value. It was free. That's probably part of it. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that it's worth the money if somebody else is interested in this game. It was on sale over the holiday season. If you didn't pick it up, I'm bummed that you missed out. You should check out some sales in the future. This is an awesome game, and it's worth a... Like, it's it's got enough gameplay and enough value to be worth a higher price tag, like most uh, other big kind of Euro or... Ameritrash games like this. So my game of the year is Hyperborea. Now apparently we're allowed to do outdated games as our runner-up because uh, Rhino Hero was from 2011. So if I had to pick a runner-up, it'd be Lost Cities the card game because I didn't get a hold of that until this year and I played that game more than any other game in my entire collection. But that's just a side note. Oh, we're picking old games for a runner-up? Mine is Defenders of the Realm. (laughs) (laughs) Get out of here. That's my runner-up every year. All right, so that is our nonsensical yearbook superlatives of 2014. Feel free to uh, head over to the guild and comment if you're interested in telling us some of your favorites within these categories or if you had some superlatives of your own. Or feel free to tell us that we're crazy about what we thought. Yeah, I'll, I'll post the categories and feel free, kind of like what we did with the Secret Santa, just let us know what you think. All right, so... We're going to go ahead and take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to announce our contest winners from our winter holiday giveaway, and then we're going to wrap up the show, so come on back. Alright everyone, so here we are at the end of the show and we are very excited to announce the winners of our first ever winter giveaway contest. So we had a copy of La Isla and a copy of Medina up for grabs and both of those were paired with pairs because pairs is an excellent game and all you had to do was head over to our guild and comment on one of our threads, leave us a review on iTunes or send us an email with some ideas. We got a bunch of lovely responses, we thank you all. Um, We're looking forward to incorporating some of those responses into the show because we've got some good segment ideas and some uh, topics that you guys are interested in. But now, on to the winners. So, for the copy of Medina, paired with pairs, we'll go ahead and randomize things up. And the winner is Jeff Rind. I believe I pronounced that right. R-H-I-N-D. He commented over on the BGG Guild, and he gave, for this winter season, 
Ticket to Ride, Machi Kuro, Tragedy Looper, Castles of Burgundy, Snake Oil, Castle Panic, and Garden Dice. He also got himself a little something. He got himself the new Pathfinder Skull and Shackles Adventure Packs. So congratulations, Jeff, and congratulations to all the people in your life that you gave some awesome games to. You guys could be excited, too. Yay, Jeff! Congrats, Jeff! Congrats, Jeff. (laughs) Jeff. Congrats, Jeff! Yeah! All right, and for the copy of La Isla paired with pairs, we'll go ahead and randomize things up. Doot, 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 doot. And the winner is Joshua Danish. He also commented on our BGG Guild, and he is giving away Pandemic the Cure, Marvel Dice Masters Booster Packs, and Seven Wonders Babel, which I actually gave to Dan for Christmas. He did. It's not a lie. So an excellent choice. So to Jeff and to Joshua, go ahead and shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com and let us know your shipping information, and we will get those games out to you pronto. I kind of want a Danish now. Well... Fortunately, it's the end of the show, so we can Josh, up. does your name always make you hungry when you write it? Oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. So with that just awful transition, we'll go ahead and close out the show. We thank you for joining us for episode 13. Tiff, if people wanted to find you, how can they get in touch? I am at IneptGamer on Twitter. Dan? I run the league handle at League Nonsense, or my personal one is at Scandalous underscore Nad. And I am at Cinnamon Buns, spelled phonetically. So join us next time for episode 14, where we will be doing our New Year's gaming resolutions, and we will have a guest, Mr. David McKenzie, on the show. All right, everyone, we can say goodbye. Happy New Year. Bye. Bye. All right, so on today's show, we're going to go over some news stories that we have dug up. We've got a few Kickstarter spotlights to go through. And then we're going to be doing our top 10. Oh, what are we calling this? It says top 10 of 2000. Our board game yearbook of 2014. 2014 okay. nonsense yearbook. Okay, wait, you guys just gave me two different things. Both of those. Go. Our 2000 nonsense school year of 2014 book. yearbooks. Uh, there you go. The 2014 yearbook of nonsensical yearbooks. <laughs> <laughs> 2014 nonsensical yearbooks. <laughs>